Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for applause. I don't usually get that at my church, so I'm going to take that back home with me to Redeemer. Um, but again, uh, it's so good to be here. Um, as Jason said, my family and I were so blessed. Uh, we started coming to Trinity in 2006. Some of you were like barely alive at that point um, in the old building. And our first Sunday here, we're invited to lunch. Uh, 15 years ago by Brad and Gil Pastor Brad and Gilliam Malden. They took us out to Fellini's, and we stuck around ever since. We're on staff here for about four years or so, from 08 to 2012, and then you all uh, were so gracious uh, to plant Redeemer, help plant Redeemer out of here, and we are so grateful. Uh, so many of the people on staff at Redeemer, I mean at Trinity, are not only uh, ministry partners of ours, uh, but dear friends of mine. Uh, Pastor Chris, has, there's been no one Honestly, when I think back on the last uh, 15 years of my life, there's been no one who has pastorally cared for me better uh, than your pastor. Uh, he's a good man. Uh, I know he's on sabbatical now, uh, so I can talk about him while he's not here. Um, but I am so grateful to him and to your church as a whole. Uh, this morning, I want you to have some freedom. If you get excited about something, uh, feel free to like verbally let me know. Uh, I come from a church that gives a little bit of feedback. Uh, so if it's dead quiet in here, I will just get louder, uh, so please uh, give me some feedback along the way, um, and that will be helpful uh, in the sermon. We're going to look at Galatians 3, uh, starting in verse 26, and go all the way into chapter 4, verse 6. And you guys have been in Galatians for the past three or four weeks, as well as been doing some studies, and I've kind of caught up uh, in, in listening to the past sermons, uh, which have been wonderful. I love the one from Ashley last week. If you haven't listened to that, please go on to the website and find it. Uh, it is so good. Uh, it'll give you some background to what we're talking about today. But Without further ado, this is Galatians 3, uh, verse 26, and then on through uh, chapter 4, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And my point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are owners of, the, of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us... While we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, so grateful for the fact that we sit here, stand here on a Sunday morning and submit to the authority of the scripture. You've given us this book to guide and direct us. May we have hearts that are moldable this morning. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin uh, where we need to be convicted uh, and affirm the right thinking that you have already placed in our minds. Remind us of truth. Remind us of who you are and who we are in you. And I pray for those at Trinity uh, who are going through difficult times, whether that's emotionally or relationally or financially uh, or physically. Father, may your kingdom come. 
And may this place, this church, these people continue to be a light for your kingdom in this city. Bless the staff, bless the pastors, bless the people of this church. May your kingdom continue to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so we're jumping in to the middle of the letter here, um, and you may have missed a week. It's, a, you know, a weird time with uh, still work, walking through the pandemic, so I want to give a little bit of a background here. Uh, the, the letter that we are reading in Galatians is written not only to one church, but to multiple churches in the region of Galatia, and so what is going on here is that Paul is writing to them, and they're probably sitting to, in order to receive the letter. Probably one person is reading it, and they've gathered a lot of people together to listen to the letter. And as you found out over the last few weeks, the church in Galatia, churches in Galatia are in a bit of a mess, or at least kind of going through a mess. I mean, let's look at chapter one, six verses into the letter. And if we're honest, the first five chapters, first five verses are pretty much just Paul saying, welcome to you all. So really the first verse he goes right in, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there even is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You probably could have heard a pin drop in the room. The awkwardness, the, the kind of upfrontness of Paul as he is rebuking the people in these churches. Peak frustration going on here. So what's happening? What's the background here? Why is Paul so frustrated? Well, we go on to read and we understand a little bit of the background of the situation in that Christianity, the following of Jesus, the following of the risen Messiah, began with people, Jewish people in Jerusalem, believing that Christ was the Messiah and following his message. But that message was and still is that Jesus came not just for people of Jewish cultural origin, but for all people. So at the point this letter was written, there was probably as many non-Jewish Christians as there were Christians coming from a Jewish background. And this is where the controversy, controversy started to brew. Because the Jewish people came from a long history of commandments. The people of Israel, they were set apart by God, given these commandments to kind of show their set-apartness. Commandments that, that led them to understand what they could and couldn't eat. The circumcision of men, the observation of the Sabbath in a certain way, and these cultural commandments that did not apply to the non-Jewish Christians, the Gentiles, but now these Jewish Christians were telling them, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you not only have to have faith in Christ, but you need to line up your life like ours. You need to follow our Jewish cultural rules. So Paul, so Paul spent the first couple chapters expressing his frustration, saying, this is not what I taught you. The Jewish Christians are trying to add something to the gospel and tell the Gentiles that in order to be truly accepted by God, they had to follow these cultural rules. And we know as Christians that faith in Jesus is what our salvation is, what our salvation is built upon, not faith in Jesus plus anything else. 
And we see this in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians throughout the New Testament. The message of the gospel is that faith in Jesus is what gives us salvation. We sang about it this morning. But instead, these people in the church are saying, not only that, you need to have faith in Jesus, plus look like us, plus act like us. And this was downright offensive to Paul. In essence, what he's saying is that they were asking the Gentiles to assimilate into the Jewish culture, specifically around the issue of the circumcision of men in order to be accepted. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The problem is not that these people aren't willing to follow your cultural norms. The problem is that you're asking them to do that in the first place. And this led to one of my favorite memes of all times. I mean, got to be the greatest shaking of the head moment of all time to be that last Galatian dude that got circumcised before Paul's letter came. Could you imagine the frustration of that one man? Talk about repentance and reconciliation efforts. The pastors in that church, they had an issue on their hands to deal with. But what's fascinating is that as Paul is explaining all of this, He not only uses his own logic, his own persuasive words, but then he goes back and hearkens back to the person of Abraham, the monumental figure in the Jewish history. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had? Very good. This is a huge deal to the the Jewish people, and he reminds them that even Abraham, he's making his point by saying even Abraham, Abraham, even Father Abraham, he was not saved by anything other than his faith. Galatians 3, 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, which righteousness means means right standing before God. So what Paul's saying, it wasn't even Abraham's cultural Jewishness that saved him. It wasn't Abraham's ability to follow the commands that saved him. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul reels them in by alluding back to Abraham and saying, this is the plan all along. And then he gives them the kicker two verses later in chapter 3. And he says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, alluding or referencing Genesis 18. He says, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. This is God speaking to Abraham. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. People at Trinity, people at any church across the world, we have to understand that since the beginning of the scriptures, God has always had a vision for his church to be a large, beautiful, multi-ethnic, culturally diverse group of people. Amen? So Paul is telling them if they are the children of Abraham, which all of them would put their hand up and say, yes, we are, meaning they are not only saved by faith and not because of their cultural tradition, it means that they, as Jewish Christians, speaking to that section of the church, that they are in the same boat, the same family, in the same church community as the non-Jewish pork eating, uncircumcised men and women, they belong to the same Christ as they did. 
This leads us right into the passage that I read. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul furthers his argument by helping them see that when they understand that their primary identity is in being a follower of Christ under the lordship of Jesus, it leads them to welcome others into the body of Christ with open arms. We think about the, the first phrase in there in verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Greek. This means that today there is no longer, our primary identity is not in our cultural background or differences, but it does mean that we welcome people in. And what's interesting about this is that he, Paul does not say to the Jewish people that you need to stop being culturally Jewish. He doesn't say to the Gentile people, clearly you need to become culturally Jewish. He's saying you can be culturally exactly who you are and be welcomed into the diverse, beautiful, multi-ethnic body of Jesus. So today our primary kind of divisions may not be the same as it was in Galatia, but we've got plenty of them. Lines being drawn culturally, whether it's black white, Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern. And then we go on to the next phrase where it says there is no longer, uh, there is no longer male or female. That statement alone would have been earth-shattering in that day to recognize that men and women had equal value in the body of Christ. There is no longer slave or free. There's a lot to unpack here, but what we, can, what we can look at it this morning is recognize that this could be culturally seen as recognizing that there should be socioeconomic diversity in the church. At a minimum, we are looking at this saying the people with connections, the people who are in the middle, upper socioeconomic levels should be in deep relationship with people that are without that the ground is level at the foot of the cross culturally. Ground is level at the foot of the cross in regards to gender, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross in regards to socioeconomic differences. That's the beautiful church that we are invited into in community with each other. And the beautiful part about this is that this was written 2,000 years ago. Church in Galatia is a disaster with this. Paul's trying to help them out. And, but now... We have 100% arrived in this. If we've learned anything, church, in the last two years, it is that we have arrived, and this letter would never have applied to us today. I mean, you think, go through your social media feeds, you know, at any day, it's just post after post about bearing with one another in love. Post after post is saying, gosh, I understand that you think differently, and I have so much to learn from you. I understand you may have had a different cultural experience growing up that may have something to teach me, and I can't wait to be in humility, to walk with you through this. Lord, have mercy. We have got so much room to growth in this. And when we see this passage, when we read this passage, we should be inspired, but we should also be ready to take a look 
in the mirror. We should look at the sin of that Galatian church and ask ourselves, what ways are we individually and corporately not being loving or hospitable to those who are different from us? In what ways are we asking others to assimilate into our culture rather than honoring their culture and coming together at, under the lordship of Christ? And I know this is at the heart of the pastors. I mean, these are some of my closest friends, the heart of the pastors at Trinity. And that's why I feel so compelled, so easy for me to talk about this here, because this is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of this church and my encouragement to you all and to myself is to keep going, keep leaning in, keep walking forward in what it looks like for us to truly be the church. And yes, there is a level of diversity here and at, 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 at you know, almost every church. And we need to seek to love the brothers and sisters well that are inside the four walls of our churches but we also have to ask ourselves, this is a question we ask at my church, at Redeemer all the time, if fill in the blank, walk through the doors of Trinity or Redeemer, would they feel comfortable and welcomed here? If a single woman in her 40s walked into our church, would she feel comfortable and welcomed here? If a family, the English was their second language, walked into the doors of our church, would they feel comfortable and welcomed here? If fill in the blank, person who's committed this, uh, you know, the category of sin that we, seem really, we deem really bad walked in the doors of our church, would they feel comfortable and welcomed here? You could go on and on and on, but those are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves if we're going to live out this calling. Because the reality is that Paul could have easily come in and been like, you guys don't seem to get along. That's fine. Just start a, you know, Jewish, historically Jewish Christian church and then a Gentile church. And I promise you, if he'd done that, those churches would have grown faster because it would have been easier. And that's how so many churches, there's, I won't get on my soapbox here, but this is honestly how churches were told to plant in the 90s, was to say, find a group of people that are similar to each other, make it as culturally easy as possible, and then just watch them just keep coming through the door like a flood. But that is not the Christian church. A Christ-following church is sitting there saying, how can we welcome and love people from a diverse group of backgrounds? And I want you to hear that I know that this is hard, but it is absolutely worth it. We tell people at Redeemer that if you are, we're really hoping for you to be 80% culturally comfortable. And people are always like, super. So we're shooting for like a strong C. And I'm like, yes, but help me, let me, under, help me explain it to you. What we explain at, at Redeemer is that we want you to be 80% comfortable because if you are 100% culturally comfortable, somebody is in the low teens somewhere. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago at our Easter service, which we blow out, and, we, and I told the band, I was like, I want you to play as loud. If we blow a speaker, like, we'll raise some money and replace those speakers. I want this to be as loud as possible. And we were in this old building, and we, the, the windows are literally, like, like, shaking. I was like, one of them's going to shatter at any point now. It was, you know, as loud as they could possibly play. And then the next week, 
this lady who's her first Sunday was Easter, a lady uh, from our community came by, an uh, older black lady, and she said, and I asked her, I was like, hey, I, I hope you, you know, felt welcomed and loved. And she said, everything was so great, but I just really wish they could get like a little more into it with the band. And I was like, that, ma'am, that, like, that's all we got. That is like all we got right there. And the reality is like you could apply that across. I mean, there's so many things, but the, the, the illustration is hopefully helpful to see like the goal is not for you individually to be the most comfortable. Like that's never in the Bible. Like spoiler alert, like I read the whole thing. Like it's not in there. But you are called to love people well. And I'll tell you, if you want easy, which we all do, but if you want easy deep down, this whole thing is not for you. If you want to pursue comfort, I mean, please don't read Acts 2, where the early church had no needs amongst them financially because the wealthy gave so much that no one was needy. If you want to pursue a life of ease and just a temptation for all of us, definitely don't read the Sermon on the Mount. Just tear those right on out of your Bible. And if you want effortless, cut all those red letters from Jesus out as well. But if you want a life of purpose and meaning and following to the Scriptures, actively loving people, including people that are different from you, keep leaning in. And when you do this, you ask yourselves, okay, what does this look like? And first and foremost, I'd say to you that your call is to understand our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities, economic statuses, and genders. If we are looking at a passage like this where there is no longer slave or free, male or female, Greek or Jew, is recognizing if we're going to be in community with people, we have to understand and know them well. Chances are that most of you grew up, if you grew up in the South especially, but really anywhere, chances are you grew up in a pretty, um, you know, a monolithic community. I mean, I graduated high school, wonderful high school experience, but I graduated high school with 111. There were five non-white people out of the 111. This is not to make you feel guilty about that, but it's important to name the lack of education we have all had in understanding cultures that are different than our own. And when we understand cultures that are different than our own, sometimes that's diving into difficult discussions, recognizing that there's been a history of racism that has impacted our minority brothers and sisters in this country. And what do we do as a church community to come alongside, not only to mourn with those who mourn, but to fight against the injustices that they face? I'm called to know the struggles of the people that I'm called to love. I'm called to understand for my, my, my sisters in the church to understand that there are difficulties that they, there are difficulties that they experience as women that I don't experience as a man. I can't ignore that as a brother in Christ. So that means reading books. It means listening to podcasts. It means learning as much as you can learn as an act of discipleship. And second, it means to seek to love and honor those who are different from us. And this is not performative, you know, virtue signaling, post a few things on social media. It's changing the way you live and act based on what it looks like to love people well. 
when we when I was growing up, so I've lived about half my life in a uh, in a predominantly African American community, and half my life uh, grew up in a predominantly white community. So the first 22 years of my life, and don't do the math there, I'm not quite like 42 or 44 yet, but for the first 22 years of my life, no one ever said, Drew, you look like so-and-so. And maybe that's happened to you a lot. I cannot remember one instance of that. For the last 16, it's probably happened a hundred times. I get told probably at least monthly, Pastor Drew, I, I feel like you look a little bit like Tom Brady. I just saw him on Sunday night. I feel like you and him like could be brothers. Or I'll get you, that guy from that like punk show, like I think his name's Ashton, Ashton Kutcher, like I feel like your face resembles him. Or when he was playing for the Hawks, people would often be like, I watched him on, uh, on, you know, on the TV. You and Kyle Korver could be brothers. Like, you guys are the exact same. And so black people from our community would, are, will still constantly say, I look like so-and-so, which is a very normal thing. Like, if you grew up only around, you know, a certain culture and you see somebody from a different culture, you don't see kind of the minute differences in them. When we go over to Kenya with our friends from Care for AIDS, which we did a trip with you guys a couple of years ago, or some of you guys, you guys weren't all there. I would remember that. But a couple of you guys came, like, we go there, and there's like 44 different uh, tribes in Kenya, and Kenyan, Kenyan men and women can tell, they can look at you and say, you are from this certain tribe. We go over there and you're like, we're like, you guys, I could never tell the difference. Black or white people come over there, we can never tell. It's just because they grew up around each other and can tell those minute differences. And funny story, when like, earlier this year, uh, probably six months ago, we were eating at Upbeat, me and one of my uh, black friends, eating at Upbeat over on Howell Mill, and Kyle Corver was eating like four tables over. And my black buddy was looking at me, black friend was looking at me, he'd look at Kyle, he'd look at me, he'd look look at Kyle, and he looked back at me, and I was like, buddy, you've got to stop doing this. It's super creepy. And he looked back at me, and he was like, Drew, I just need to say I'm sorry. You and Kyle do not look that similar. And I was like, thank you. Like, I've been saying this for years. He's like six foot seven, and we do not look that similar. And he goes, he is significantly better looking than you are. And I was like, that wasn't what I was going for, but also I agree with that statement as well. But I've learned over the years that though I do not mind when somebody says, especially those three humans, they're beautiful men, when they say, you look like them, I will never say that to one of my minority brothers and sisters. Even if somebody looks, if I'm dead sure they look just like a celebrity, I will never say that because over time I've watched them when people have said, especially white people have said that to them, I watched the sadness in their faith. Not all of them, you know, that may not be true for all, it's just totally fine, but you know, minorities like all of us are not a monolith, but I've watched so many of them have a sadness in their faith, in their face, because it reminds them of white people in their past that have never taken the time to get to know them well enough to see the distinctions about them. Because they've been looked down upon historically in our country to where there just is a very generalized view, a very stereotypical view of, of black people are like fill in the blank. And so when I say, when someone says, oh, you look like so-and-so, it brings up wounds in them. So understanding that changes how I interact with brothers and sisters of mine. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that, it, you know, that's, it's easy. It doesn't mean that it always makes sense. Sometimes I get very confused on how to do this well, but it doesn't mean I ignore it. And as brothers and sisters, the deeper we understand the things that we are called to rejoice alongside and mourn alongside with our brothers and sisters, the more and more it changes how we live. 
And when we do this, we develop deep and meaningful relationships, not token relationships, but true friendships. And I promise you are better off. We are all better off for it. There's a couple at our church who have kind of been through a really difficult time the last 10 years. They got married recently. And we were sitting, I was sitting with them doing some counseling. We were talking about their money, uh, and they have a, a goal to buy a house, buy their first house, which we are so excited uh, to help them, you know, figure out how to do that well. Uh, and we were looking at their finances, and they both have, you know, very good jobs now, and they're kind of you're building some, some income, or have income to kind of build a nest egg to get ready to buy a house. So I'm going through it all, and I'm like, you guys are super frugal. You shop at Aldi, like, you do all the right things here. And then we get to, and I'm like, but I don't understand, like, how there's not, like, we're trying, you know, have this goal, how we're not getting closer to it. And we get down to the line item in the budget on giving, and they are giving away an astronomical amount of money. Like, these are folks that, like, are, you know, we're paycheck to paycheck for probably a decade, like, barely making ends meet. And now they've got more money. And you know what the first thing they do is they just give it away. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of the person. I mean, it's probably 35% of their income on not a ton of money just being given away to the church, to uh, organizations, to anyone who have a need. It's honestly the first time in my entire pastoral life where I looked at somebody and said, you need to not give away as much money. Like, you have got to calm down here with the amount of money you're giving away in order to, like, save to buy a house. And I promise you can, give, you, you can give away more money in the future, but, like, let's, like, hit these financial steps. Unless God's really leading you to give this 40% of your small income away. But I was so challenged. And I sat there when we got to that point, and they were like, Drew, why are you getting emotional about our money? And I was like, I'm getting emotional because I'm so thankful that you're part of our church. I'm so challenged by you. I'm so thankful that you're a part of Christian community because I have so much to learn from you. And that's the beauty of the church God has called us into. And I know this feels hard. I promise you I've got a, a million stories about how hard it is. But I also want you to know that when this gets hard, we run back to the gospel over and over again. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul reminds them of this, because if we can remember that we've been adopted, not because of our works, but because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, we will be empowered to love our brothers and sisters well. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to be a follower of you in every aspect of our lives. Not because we are shamed into it or guilted into it, but we're invited into the beautiful story of following the Holy Spirit as you lead us to love people well. Father, remind us of this truth today, tomorrow, and every day going forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.